Okay, we are live streaming now. And I want to I want to record this to the cloud. Okay, we are all set up. Um, good morning, everybody uh, who's tuning in for coffee chat. My um, guest this oh, by I should say first of all that I'm here in Sarah's place. We're trying to give Sarah a little bit of time off this week. Um, she's been doing yeoman's duty, as many of you have been tuning into our Where in the World programming. So we're giving Sarah the day off. Uh, so hence, I'm going to be your host today, Reed Cohen from Imprint Tours, and uh, my guest today is Anne Curia. Curia. Uh, good morning, yes, yes. Anne. Good, e good evening to you. In Where are you, by the way? Are you in Rwanda or Uganda this morning? Right now, I'm in Kenya. Yeah. I'm in okay, Kenya, next door. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to introduce uh, Anne a little better in just a minute here, but uh, first some housekeeping. Um, the rest of the week, uh, we just have one more, I'm sorry, two more things coming up this week. Uh, early, early tomorrow morning, um, I'll have Todd Todd Mentz from South Africa on. He's going to give us a virtual tour of Constitution Hill and the prison there in Johannesburg. So if you're up early in the morning and need some entertainment, uh, we'll be starting at 7 a.m. Seattle time. That's 10 a.m. Eastern time. If, uh, if you can tune in with your questions and comments, that always uh, helps the programming go better. But of course, you can always come back to Sarah's Facebook page to see the recordings of these things. And as a reminder, logistically, we will eventually have uh, our Where in the World pages on all three websites with Sarah's, with mine, and with Andrew Valone's for reference to all of these programs, to other uh, bits of information as well. Um, and then on Friday morning, I will be doing a PowerPoint presentation on our Southern Africa tour. Um, that will be at 10 a.m. Seattle time, if you can tune in for that. Um, We've had pretty good Wi-Fi lately, but uh, those of you who've seen me before know that I am personally cursed and that uh, quite often the Wi-Fi drops when I'm involved. If that happens, stay with us. We'll do our best to come back on. But of course, we are all slaves to that technology and that uh, uh, that that bandwidth issue that uh, sometimes comes up. And of course, in East Africa, sometimes there can be power outages, et cetera, et cetera. So if things go that way. We'll just deal with it when it happens. Um, let's see. Um, I think that's, uh, oh, and, and of course, as always, uh, if you have questions or comments, I'll do my best to monitor for those during the program. If I miss something that was asked or said, I apologize, and I will certainly review that when we're done, uh, when I'm not trying to do three things at once. Uh, eventually, we'll get your questions and comments uh, addressed. But if you'd like to ask a direct question of Anne, please feel free to use the chat function um, for the on the uh, Facebook broadcast. Okay, enough enough housekeeping. Um, Anne is the director of Nature Wild Africa. That's a tour and travel company that operates in East Africa. Um, I met Anne a couple of years ago in Rwanda when we had a group. Uh, we, we had tours of East Africa at the time, and we did an extension into Rwanda to see the mountain gorillas. I'm going to move out of the way so you can see my mountain gorilla. There's oh, the silver sure. back. Uh, we'll say more about that in a minute, um, but that's, that's our connection to Anne. And of course, Anne is involved in other things as well. So um, uh, I'll say good morning again, Anne. How are you this morning? 
I am fine, great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, yeah, now yeah, it's Kenya. It's eight eight o five p.m. Okay. Good evening, morning for you. I'm happy to be with you here. Thank you so much for your invite. And yes, you're all welcome. Whoever is joining in is going to know more about East Africa and African tours. Excellent. Let's let's start with that. Tell us uh, tell us about uh, um, uh, about Wild Africa. How did you get that started? Why did you get involved in tourism? What's what's that story? Well, it's all about nature, and um, let me say right from the word go or at an early age, I was so passionate about traveling. I love traveling. I love nature, and. Um, that's something I started way before when I was very young in school, actually. But as life goes on, after finishing school, <clears throat> you got to join the colleges. And um, eventually, I got a job at the airport that enhanced more about tourism in me because I could meet so many tourists coming into Kenya. And um, that's what prompted me to really get into tourism. And I had to go to a real tourism college. It's called Kenya Utali College here in Kenya. It's actually an African college because it takes all the students from all over Africa, mainly Botswana, Namibia, Ghana, Rwanda, the whole of East Africa, and some coming from South Africa as well. So my passion was made when I joined the college. And sure enough, after the college I joined, the tour companies, I worked for tour companies in Kenya, and that led me to East Africa, starting with Rwanda. Now I am in Uganda, and the name Nature Wild Africa is because it is all about nature, it's all about wild, and now we are in Africa. That's how the name came about. And so yeah. how, long, how long ago are we talking about? Uh, how many years ago did you start Wild Africa? Oh, uh, Nature Wild Africa, I got into tourism in full for the last 20 years from the year 2000, I would say. But Nature Wild Africa was born in 2014. After okay. getting to know what East Africa is and what tourism we have and how beautiful um, the attractions of East Africa can be and how they can be connected from Kenya to Rwanda to Uganda because this, those attractions that are in some of the countries and are not in others. Like gorilla tracking, we can only find it in Uganda, DRC, and uh, Rwanda. In Kenya, you can find the world, the wildebeest migration. So connecting that was easy. Most of the tourists who are coming into Kenya, they want to go for an extension uh, of gorilla tracking, of the primate tracking, because they also have the chimpanzees, they have the golden monkeys in Rwanda and Uganda. So I felt there was something missing, the connection from Kenya to Rwanda and Uganda, and that made it perfect for me to base myself in Rwanda and Uganda. How um, 20 years in the tourism business there in East Africa, um, what, uh, what changes have you seen? What, uh, what was it like 20 years ago compared to today? 
Uh, I would say that tourism um, grew at an early age in Kenya and it went flowing now to the rest of the East Africa. When I moved from Kenya to Rwanda, tourism was really like beginning in Rwanda in full, uh, in full um, attractions, where you could do all kinds of attractions. Other than gorilla tracking, we started uh, the attractions in Akagera National Park, there is Nyungwe National Park. There's also other excursions you can get on the way, like of the mountains, of the lakes. I can say in general, this growth, growth, where we began is not where we are. Mm. And it has contributed mm. a lot to GDP also, because it is the main uh, product that contribute to the government. The GDP of the government is highly, highly depend on tourism. And um, they make a lot of efforts in uh, developing and growing and marketing. So jointly, the travel operators and the government have done really a good job to make sure that the growth has been, uh, has been uh, marketed. And that's the reason why I would say it has really grown. Now, except now about the COVID-19 that has really made it difficult for all of us in the world, we are sure that even after COVID, we are going to go far. We'll, the growth will be seen and we hope uh, people have not really given up traveling. They still travel, we believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see uh, on our side of the pond, lots of evidence that people are, they're so anxious to travel again. This, this hiatus, this COVID-19 hiatus that's prevented travel, uh, in, and in particular international travel is, is creating a huge backlog of interest, pent up demand. So when it becomes safe again, you know, fingers crossed that that's sooner instead of later. I, I know people are ready to get out and and uh, and travel so um okay well you you mentioned the gorillas and of course uh, that's the 500 pound gorilla in the room if i can use a very bad pun uh i i know that our viewers today are going to want to know about the gorillas let me say by way of introduction that when i was with you um a couple of years ago in uh, in rwanda you know, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've had a lot of great travel experiences, but seeing the mountain gorillas, that experience of being that close to those animals was easily top five. And, and quite frankly, I cannot think of a single moment in, in, in my lifetime of travels that I would say was more powerful, more meaningful than, than that experience. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my preface to, uh, um, what what I'm asking you to share, but but yours would be a different perspective as a as a professional, someone who manages this. Um, just tell us whatever you want to about the about seeing the gorillas, about managing that, organizing it. What what's that all about? Great, I would tell you seeing the gorillas is a very thrilling experience, and let me tell you, each time you go to see the gorillas, you get a different experience. No matter how many times you go, 
you will see something different, you feel something different. It is really, we, 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 we call it a lifetime experience. Because when you see face to face with those giants and they're not ashamed to look at you into your eyes and they are huge, you really get thrilled. And also what is involved about the gorillas there, we say they are our lost cousins, our lost cousins. You look at that gorilla and you see yourself in it and you start uh, wondering what it's thinking because it's looking at you. You, you, you start, you know, wondering. It, it's an experience you cannot even explain, explain how, how you feel. But tracking the gorillas, it is some, uh, it's an activity one would always put in a bucket list to come and see, even if it's only once. What we do when we are organizing the gorillas trekking, uh, of course the gorilla permits are reserved early enough, uh, not at this time now because not very many clients were coming, but I'm sure when everything will be back to normal when you get our businesses back, the normal rules will come back because we believe there are so many people who want to come now and cover what is lost. All the, in the two years now. We reserve the gorilla permit in advance, in advance and you're free to reserve your gorilla permits even a near two years before, just to be sure that you track those two gorillas, we reserve and um, with a, maybe a deposit or full payment. And then the actual day, when the actual day come, after meeting the clients, we take them to the park early morning. The gorilla tracking are tracked only in the morning and only once. Each family of the, the each of the gorilla family is tracked by eight clients per day, not more. And um, I would say this is to conserve also the gorillas themselves, because we don't need to disturb them the whole day. It's a way of conservation. So what happens, you go to the park, the briefing is done. And then from there, you leave in your car and go to the starting point of the gorillas. Starting point at the gorillas, you find some porters, those people who want to be helped to walk, to carry some backpack, luggages, the elderly, maybe you want to be uh, pushed. There are some strenuous gorilla tracks that you come across and sometimes maybe it's muddy. So some people always need to, to get porters. Uh, the average gorilla trek is about two hours, but at times you can walk even um, for as short as one hour, 30 minutes, depending on where the gorilla group is. At the starting point, you get, you are with the guide, you are with the guards, and the trackers wake up very early in the morning to go and fight gorillas uh, where they slept the previous night. So they guide the guard, the guide, they guide the guides and the tracker and the guide guards to where the gorillas are. 
how how do they guide them they communicate over the radio and when you're closed maybe they use voices in the forest to direct you the paths to pass and when you get to the group you offload all your backpacks you leave them at a point you get to the gorillas only with your cameras and and your 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 maybe not with any luggage you cannot use any water you cannot eat before the gorillas so you watch the gorillas for only one hour one hour you're allowed to view the gorillas learn about them and see how they relate to each other see how they have formed their families and um, after one hour is over you track back to your starting point get into your vehicles and you call it a day but that one hour is worth your visit that one hour is thrilling you'd always want to come back again to see those gorillas it is yeah a lifetime experience i, I, I love know. the way you've articulated yes, life changing yeah uh, i know there's some people who have had uh, many I mean, different experiences when seeing the gorillas and they want to know whether they are harmful, whether they, are, they can fight back. But at the briefing point, you're briefed on how to behave when you're before the gorillas. For example, when a gorilla comes close to you, you're not supposed to run away. You're supposed to squat and don't look at it into the eyes because you want to submit. Of course, you are in their territory and you want to show it that you are not here to fight. You're only here for a friendly visit. And because they are habituated, they are taught how to live with people, they know. Even if it charges towards you and you squat and you submit, it, it really cannot harm you. It can only walk away. Sometimes even the babies can come, hold your hand, and they are playful juveniles and babies who are around in the family. It is fun. That time is a time for your for your photo, photos, photo sessions, or for your partners to take good photos and show the world how good it is to come and see the gorillas in the world. And the gorillas we have in Rwanda and Uganda are only mountain gorillas. Congo uh, DRC, we have the mountain gorillas and we have them, the lowland gorillas, which are more huger than the mountain gorillas. So there are two different types of gorillas, mountain gorillas and gorillas. So in Rwanda and Uganda, you expect to see the mountain gorillas and the families are many which are habituated, of course. Uh, in Rwanda, there are about 10, 12 families now. In Uganda, they are about 18 groups that are habituated. Uh, so yeah, they are friendly primates to see. And I would urge everyone to make a point of coming to East Africa and see the gorillas, including other wildlife. Um, I didn't I didn't want to interrupt, but but your description brought back so many great memories for me. There's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, when you were saying that you see them as lost cousins, 
that's such a good way to put it because they're they're so human like. Uh, you did a good job of describing that. My my own experience on many levels, they 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 have human like behaviors, and um, I think the thing that most impressed me was our our guides, our tracker guides. They knew how to communicate with the gorillas. I mean, they literally knew how to make growling noises and rumbling noises, yep. and they have learned from their, you know, their time with the gorillas, how to communicate, uh, how to how yeah. to let the gorillas know we're not a threat. Um, if he, if he sees the the silverback getting a little agitated, he's able to calm him down. It was really amazing to to watch that communication. Sorry. Do you remember that sound that uh, you're supposed to make when they? I I don't. How's that go? Uh, in most cases, when a gorilla comes towards you, you and um, it's really facing you. You're supposed to say, <clears throat> and then it responds. Actually, it responds with the same sound, and when it hears that sound you making that sound to eat and it makes the sound match you, you're safe. Yeah. Well, I, you know, at, at one and the same time, you see the the power of, of these animals, especially the silverback. He's, he's just kinetic strength, right? He's, he's, he's relaxed, but he's He's very wary. He's watching everything. He's uh, particularly when we first arrive, he's watching us to make sure that we're not a threat. He's protecting the family. But you feel completely relaxed. They 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 are so accommodated to Amer to Americans, <laughs> to humans um, that yeah. that you, you you I I certainly never felt threatened at all. But at the same time, I could I could you know, you could see how powerful this animal was. And if he chose to be aggressive, we wouldn't stand a chance, right? But it was it was very very relaxed. And you talked about how the young ones will interact. That's this is my favorite part of my experience. Um, we were watching. We'd been there for twenty minutes or half an hour, and there were a couple of juveniles, you know, teenage gorillas, rough and tumbling, mm -hmm. wrestling, and they started sort of rolling down the hill from above us. And and our our guide was like move, 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 you're in the way. So, but I didn't move out of the way quite quickly enough. And as these two sort of teenagers went tumbling by, one reached out and swatted me right on the bum. You know, just yeah. like, it was like, you didn't move quick enough, but it, it was, it was truly playful, right? It was, and I just, I just had a surge of, of emotion that I just had made this yeah, connection. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was so much fun. That was, and, and someone else in my group uh, had a, a similar experience where the couple of, uh, of the younger ones were sort of wrestling around and one just reached out and, and pushed him, but not in an aggressive way, the way that kids play, you know? And yeah, sure. um, uh, that was- they're, they're Actually, if you look at their family, it is only one male, that is a silverback many wives and many children it is a real it, it is a form of the human family i think another key piece of of what you were sharing with us was um the fact that they restrict 
the groups, the human sized group to eight people, right? So um, yeah, sure. the, the morning we went, I think we had 32 people in my group. So we were, we were divided yeah, sure. up into four or five different groups. You get that briefing before you even head up into the mountains, right? Where, where everybody learns the do's and don'ts and, you know, don't do this. And, and, you know, like you were just teaching us about this is the right sound to make. Yeah. So you learn everything you need to learn before you go, then you head up. But I think it's important that uh, for our audience to know that, that by keeping the group to eight, then you're always sort of, um, it adds to the intimacy. It's, it's not like uh, uh, being in a, a, a group of 25 or 40 people seeing some big site in Europe or whatever. It's really, it's, it's intimate, it's small, and, and the gorillas always outnumber the humans, right? And um, so I thought, I thought that was a key piece that they have figured out by keeping the human group small, it keeps it non-threatening, it keeps it interactive. I, I, th I think that's a really, um, they've, they've really figured out something important there. Um, and I also remember when you were talking about how you, you reach a sort of a, a point, whether you've, whether you've had to slog through the mud for two hours uphill or whether you find, the, you find your gorilla group right away. I was, I was super lucky. My group, within 20 minutes of entering the little bamboo forest in the lower slopes of the volcano, uh, they stopped us. They said, okay, we're going to leave your bags here. Just take your cameras. The gorillas are nearby. I mean, that was an exciting moment, you know, when they said the gorillas are nearby. But what I'll never forget was as soon as we did that and we turned to head uphill, there was a gorilla watching us the whole time, right? He was what? he was right there watching us the whole time as almost to say, oh, here comes another group of those those pale white things that, that come and visit us once in a while. So um, that was just, uh, uh, just, just a a spectacular experience all the way around. I, I, I struggle every time to try to articulate how how powerful and special that was. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's uh, let's talk about um, unless unless you've got more to add about the the gorilla experience. I um, I think we could say more, but I'm I think we've covered the basics here. Yeah, all I would say is um, just urge people to come and see the gorilla. Yeah, come see the gorillas because yeah, oh, I know I know something we we need to talk about a little bit. Uh, this is a huge conservation success story. The the way that the gorillas are managed there, you know, there's there's so many other parts of Africa where the resource, the wildlife there's poaching problems, there's, there's encroachment of their habitat by human expansion and stuff. This is one of the true success stories from what I learned when I was there. Uh, tell us something about that. Tell us how they've, they've worked it out with the local farmers and whatnot to, to make sure that the gorillas are protected and, and how the gorilla uh, um, populations have been growing in recent years. Yeah, in the beginning, in the beginning, there was a lot of poaching of the gorillas, and uh, people may know that uh, Dan Fossey was living with the gorillas in Rwanda, and um, she really worked so hard to protect the gorillas in the beginning, and um, in the end, she was her life was taken through the same 
people who burdened her through poaching and everything else. But Rwanda did not uh, stop there. They continued with her work and uh, formed the fund that contributed a lot to growing uh, the, the gorilla groups and continued protecting them. And uh, organizations were set to make sure that the gorillas are protected and uh, they have educated them, the, the people who are living next to the gorillas. Actually, there are some people who are living in the forest and had to educate them and um, offer different um, habitats for the people. And uh, what they did, they supported and educated them to support the gorillas and showed them how important they are and how beneficial they are to them. So what they did, they uh, formed the organization like the CCN and uh, like the Danforsi FAD and um, the Rwanda government itself uh, contributed to giving those people land out of the forest and to make them share the, the conservation of the gorillas and uh, work and jobs like those potters. Those potters you see, they are part of the people who are living next to the forest. So they are encouraged to work for the gorillas instead of against the gorillas. What they do now, they work and um, they are paid separate, separately by the clans who come by a way of supporting those people. You pay the porters directly and um, that way you contribute to their livelihood. The schools were built. The kids started going to school because initially they were not even going to school. The hospitals, so many people came, so many people came in with donations to make sure that the conservation of gorillas, then um, the, the people around them are supported in full to make them not uh, do the poaching anymore. So what we have now is everybody supporting the, the activity. So everyone supporting the tourism, the gorillas, and the population from that time went up. Right now, um, there are more than 550, oh, maybe approximately now, uh, gorillas in Rwanda or the side of Uganda is about the same. So we have over 1,000 mountain gorillas surviving for the, uh, um, in the Viruga Mountains and Guidi National Park. And that's a, that's, a, that's a commendable job. And we believe that each year, they will go increasing, and that's why we have. Okay, looks like Anne has frozen for a moment, and we've lost the video. Give her a little bit of time. Up oh, there, she's back. Sorry. We lost you for a moment there, Anne, but you're fine now. Continue. Yep, sure. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, we have uh, even the recognition of the new gorillas being born. Every year in Rwanda, we have the uh, gorilla naming ceremony every September. 
and their new gorillas being born. So we believe they, they will go on. They can only go on increasing instead of decreasing because everyone is in support of the, of the gorillas now. And that's a good way of improving. And we have the gorilla doctors who always go to check on them and, um, and treating them. And uh, the trackers always know where the gorillas are in the forest, how they slept, how their movements are, whether there is any sick gorilla and call up the doctors for treatment. So we can only have a bigger number and not less. I just love hearing that. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's such a good symbiotic relationship between humans and gorillas, and and boy, we need to hear those stories. I mean, there's there's too many bad stories from Africa and elsewhere in the world about uh, conservation measures not going well. And and am I remembering correctly, Anne, that um, if by chance gorillas come down out of the forest and and destroy some farmland or something, that there's a there's a fund available from the from the money that people pay for the permits to to compensate the farmers so that the farmers won't take retribution on the gorillas am i remembering that correctly yes yes, yes. exactly exactly and in most cases because the trackers always are in the forest from morning to evening they make sure that the gorillas do not come out to destroy the crops and in any case if that happens Yes, is that a compensation that they get from the government? Excellent. I, I, it's, it's just a great story all the way around. Um, what other what other kinds of uh, uh, game viewing is there available there in Rwanda and Uganda, Anne? Sorry. Uh, I was asking what other kinds of game viewing, wildlife viewing, is there available in Rwanda and Uganda? Oh, have we frozen again? It seems, yeah, seems like we're having a little bit of, oh, and you're back again. Yeah, sure. Do I need to repeat my question one more time? We had you frozen there for a moment. Oh, the question again, please. Sure. Uh, I asked what other kinds of wildlife viewing is there in Uganda and Rwanda other than the gorillas? Among the primates, we have the golden monkeys, we have the chimpanzees, and we have other monkeys like uh, lowest monkeys, vavet monkeys, we have in different parks. The golden monkeys are found in Volcanoes National Park in, Uganda, in Rwanda, the same park with the gorillas. And uh, the golden monkeys in Uganda are found in Gahinga National Park. We have the chimpanzees in Nyungwe National Park in Rwanda, and um, Chibanzis in Kibale National Park in Uganda. And also we have other Chibanzis found in Queen Elizabeth National Park, uh, Kiabura Gorge, and other minor places like uh, other wildlife are found in Akagera National Park. In Rwanda, we have the Akagera National Park for the, the, the normal wildlife. Mm. That, that is a savanna wildlife. For example, the elephants, the lions, buffaloes, um, and, and just what you find in other parks in Uganda, like Queen Elizabeth Nas National Park, Kenya Masai Mara National Park. Basically, it's like a one-stop shop when you come to East Africa. 
you will get to see all kinds of wildlife, including birds, including the reptiles in the lake, uh, you know, the water life. It would be very nice if you come to, to, to Uganda and do um, a boat cruise for the wildlife in Kazinga Channel, on Kazinga Channel. That channel that connects Lake Edward and Lake Albert. Mm. You get on a boat and then you go on a safari on a boat, not in a car this time, but on a boat. It takes you so close to the banks where you see elephants, you see the crocs, you see the, the buffaloes, all the animals coming to take water along the banks as well as what you see in the water. It's amazing. So other wildlife, name it, you get to see it in the parks of Rwanda and Uganda. That's where I am basically and Kenya, where I get many of the clans coming for the extension in Rwanda and Uganda. So it sounds like what, what we did a couple of years ago where we had our basic safari tours in, in Kenya and Tanzania, to then extend for a few days to Rwanda or Uganda. It sounds like that's kind of a typical way um, people do that. And of course, uh, when you and I uh, started talking about uh, bringing another group from Imprint Tours, we had hoped to be doing an East Africa tour, but that has since fallen by the wayside. We're still hoping to do our Southern Africa tour this fall, if uh, things yep. continue to go well with COVID. Uh, it's, it's a little, you know, for our viewers sake, it's a little more complicated. It's, it's not easy getting from uh, Rwanda down to Southern Africa, but uh, I'm here to tell you, and I think you can see from what Anne has been sharing, it's worth it. It's definitely worth it to, uh, to make the extra effort to, to come to Rwanda, Uganda um, to see the gorillas. Um, I want to change subjects a little bit here. Um, I think that uh, apart from gorillas, probably what most Americans know about Rwanda is uh, sort of a black period of their history, a dark time uh, back in the 1990s when there was the horrible uh, genocide there in Rwanda. I, I have to confess that mostly what I knew about what happened there, I learned from seeing a movie. Uh, it was called Hotel Rwanda. And uh, you don't always get accurate history from a movie, but um, that's, that's where I learned about it. But then I learned a lot more from the uh, Genocide Memorial Museum there in Kigali. So um, why don't you, for our viewers, kind of uh, give them a little historical catch up on, the, on the, uh, the genocide in the 1990s and how things have gone since then. Yeah, it was a really a dark time for Rwanda. That was back in 1994, which uh, started on 7th of April, 1994, and lasted for 100 days. 100 days uh, of dark history. And uh, in the end, it came to an end after 100 days and um, it is something that one would never want it happen to anyone anywhere in the world. Now, uh, out of what happened, they opened a memorial center, Kigali Genocide Memorial Center, 
And um, this was made the final resting place of about over 250 people who are the victims of the, of the genocide against the Tutsi. It is like, I would say the same people uh, coming against each other. It's like one family. They speak the same language. They are in the same country. And I tell you, when you go to the memorial and uh, visit, the visit starts with a movie of what happens and um, a story from people who are really affected by the genocide. It is, it is quite moving and uh, it's also educative, very educative. It has now been um, made a, 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 a place of remembrance and learning because there's so many things, so many events that are happening there. And uh, what it is, the Memorial Center itself is divided into three, three portions, three exhibitions. One is about the, the genocide the Rwanda genocide of 1994 against the Tutsi. And the other part is for the children. And another part is for the history of genocide in the world. It is named a, a waste, wasted, wasted life. Wasted life because um, it is not even recognized by the international law that there was genocide in those places. Uh, what you see, immediately you get to the memorial center. You go through a movie and then from there you're taken to the exhibitions, get to see what really happens, the photos of very many people who are affected and they have been, um, they have an, an archive that they have stored, the, the tools that were used, the clothes and uh, everything that happens, you learn it from the genocide. Otherwise, it is divided also now. It's even growing much bigger to make sure that people learn, people in the world learn about, about it and go and educate other people and see what conflict can cause to people's life and the consequences that are experienced after, after such atrocities. Now, uh, from there, they have come up with um, the donations that support those people who are affected and um, to expand the, the, the genocide memorial. Right now, we have the, um, the archive, we have the amphitheater where the events happen because each and every year there is that ceremony held at the place. It is called Kwivuka. Kwivuka is a Rwandan word to say remembrance, remembering. And they say remembering is the greatest weapon to remind people what happened and, and, and the consequences that people experienced, the pain of the country, so that they will never repeat that again. And true to the word, they have really grown. The reconciliation has been done. Rwanda has really grown so fast. You cannot even say there was such a thing in such a short time ago. 
because the development that has come up through learning and through the support by the government is immense. The growth of the country is really tremendous. If you see Kigali City today, it is, uh, it is one of the best cities, one of the cleanest cities, one of the fastest growing cities. And right now, because they also uh, put a lot of effort in education, the country has really moved on. And thanks to their president, uh, President Paul Kagame, because he has really done Rwanda good. It is a job well done. What we can say about genocide is a place of planning. When you come to Kigali, what we do, we don't let people go out on a tour before they visit the genocide. Because you need to know where it's coming from and you need to see what has been done after that. So when you get to Kigali, we let you visit the, um, the memorial, see what happened and compare with what is happening right now. You, you appreciate the, the, the reconciliation and you appreciate the, the change, appreciate the development and uh, at least be happy when you're going on a tour in, in Rwanda. Otherwise, when you take you at the end, people go crying, they say, why did you take us there at the end of the safari? It is so remorseful, it is, uh, I mean, it is, that is the, the, the memorial for you. But otherwise now we have the gift shop, we have the library where people can go learn, do research, and they have books uh, you can read. Uh, they have audio guides you can take. When you go to each compartment, you press the button of that number. And if you're not able to read those small numbers or if you don't have to read, you can listen to that audio guide. That audio guide goes for $15 and that goes to the support of the memorial. The gift shop, when you buy anything, that goes to the support of memorial. The, 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 the whole memorial has taken a lot of uh, Rwandans for employment, has taken uh, a lot of teachers to teach them so that they can spread the word into the schools. And so many people, even researchers from all over the world, they go to the memorial to do the research. What you can do in their library, you can photocopy the material. They don't let books, but you can photocopy the material for the books you're interested in, either fiction or, or, or real. Um, it is there for you. I mean, uh, I know you visited uh, RAID and uh, it's, it is, it is, you can go back there. Each time you go back there, you have a different feeling and you learn more. Mm. Well, um, I, yeah, I do remember that because uh, I have, you know, after, after all the things that I was saying about how powerful and moving the experience of seeing the gorillas is, I, I have to say that, that the, uh, the memorial in Kigali is in a completely different way, 
almost as powerful. Um, you know, it's uh, the, the dominant impression when you come down off the mountain after seeing the gorillas is, is exultation. You know, you're on a high, you're, you know, you're, you're buzzing, you're, you're, everything is positive. It's, ex it's really quite the opposite to go through the memorial because they've really done a great job there. What I remember is not only the, the film that you mentioned, that, that you, you sit down, that's the beginning of the visit. You see the film that brings you up to speed on, on the history. And it's, it's, it's sad, um, but it's basically you know, the facts of the matter. Then you go into the rest of the, you start to go through the rest of the memorial and like a museum. And there are a number of video places where you stand and, and watch, and it's, it's, it's primarily people that survived sharing their stories. That's where it starts to get really powerful. After you've listened to a half a dozen people talk about how they lost friends and family members and children and grandparents and, and whatnot, it, it starts to just break your heart. Um, and then I also remember that there's a whole floor of the memorial that's dedicated to not forgetting other genocides. You know, they, they've obviously got the Holocaust in Nazi Germany in the 1930s and, and early 40s. Um, the, the stuff that was going on in the, in the Balkans in the 90s. Um, and then a couple that I knew nothing about, uh, Namibia in the 19th century. And, and, and so it's, it's a memorial to all those lost in genocides. And as, like, as you so well said, the whole point of, of exposing you to those things is so that you will be vigilant in, in remembering what has happened and to be vigilant about making sure it doesn't happen again. And, and I've come to understand that's a little bit naive to think it can't happen to me or it can't happen in my country. I mean, we, we had people storm our national capital just a month, uh, two months ago. So, um, you know, the, the price of freedom is vigilance. Um, and uh, this, this memorial really does a powerful job. I, I do remember, I, I was able to keep it together as I walked through the memorial, but as soon as I came out, I'm not too proud to say, I, I broke down in tears. I, it, was, it was such uh, an emotional experience to go through there. So that combination of, of being able to experience the memorial and then go and see the gorillas, to, to me makes, makes Rwanda and Uganda together a, a spectacular package for, for when you're talking about just a couple of days. The, the bang for buck is, is, really, is really something. So uh, as Anne was encouraging you all, if you know, come to Rwanda, come to, to Uganda to see the gorillas, to experience the memorial, uh, you know, because they're going to need those tourism dollars um, once the COVID thing is over. So that's, that's our big message today. Um, we're, we're winding down here, Anne. Um, I just wanted to ask you as, you know, I, I pretty much ask this of anybody that I have on that's involved in tourism. Um, if you're willing to share, what are, what, are the, what are the challenges and rewards of your job? Well, and the rewards are we get to meet a lot of people, we get to grow uh, ourselves, we contribute to the countries, we have uh, also big developments and we are also able to support those uh, in need, either people, the animals, we are able to 
do the, a lot of conservation and uh, basically well-being of both the country, the animals, and ourselves uh, personally. So those are many rewards. If you put them one by one, the, the, it's quite a big list. And we are happy to do the two operations and we are happy to meet also other people and grow together. For us in Africa, we like 90% depend purely on tourism on the Western. And we are happy to have you on board because as it is said, this part of the world is quite behind. So we are catching up, we are catching up. Uh, that is part of the reward we get. And to make sure that each and everyone have a fair share, the government have the share to the people who are operating the tours, like the tour companies, those people in the villages, they have grown the developments of the roads, development of the schools, share the ideas, the different ideas. That, 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 that's quite a big thing. And uh, that's what the world is made of, development and moving forward. Challenges on the same is when, uh, for example, we have, the, we have people who want to come, but we have limited um, number of gorilla permits to book per day. That far, the government is so strict. The government, both governments in, in Rwanda, Congo, Uganda, they are so strict about the conservation. So there's no way they can go beyond the number that they have set per day. And we have people who want to come. Maybe changing their program is a bit hard because it is your summer and uh, you have your children at home and you want to make that travel, but they are not permits. There are no permits available. So what we urge people to do is to plan well in advance. If you know you're coming to see the gorillas, plan in advance so that you don't miss that. It is the main, for us in Uganda and Rwanda, it is the main activity, main activity for everyone. And uh, without that, you will feel like you have missed a lot. For those people who are in Kenya, uh, the extension, they come to, to Rwanda and Uganda, they feel that they have made the trip all the way to Kenya and they're so close to the gorillas. So they make sure that they have extended their tours into uh, Rwanda or Uganda. Other challenges is about also the, 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 the booking. Um, it happens that peak season is peak season. Sometimes even the rooms are not there in the hotels. So that's another challenge we get. It is, it is full and it is full. And where you can only be able to accommodate your clients, it cannot be fun, especially when you're gorilla tracking. That activity has to start in the morning, very early in the morning at seven. You have to be at the park. So you cannot go so far. It is not somewhere you can say uh, you will um, uh, get accommodation like about 50 kilometers in the morning. And also remember it is also in the parks where the roads are, are rough. Sometimes it's so rainy. We are in the rainy forest. It is muddy. 
So it can be a lot of challenge to get accommodation far from the park. These are part of the challenges we get. Otherwise, we enjoy each and every part to have people coming to see our parks, people coming to see our beauty. We have the lakes, we have the mountains coming for mountain climbing. We have like all sorts of attractions. Um, one would ever want to see the scenery. The sceneries are beautiful. And um, we, we, we really appreciate your support, all of you. I, was, I thought I was giving you an opportunity to, to tell stories about me, Anne, when I asked uh, what, what the challenges of the job might be. I, I remember when I brought my group, there'd been some snafu about paperwork or something, and you literally had to run around my whole group while we were having lunch, getting, I, I forget, passport numbers or photographs or something. And I, I thought you must have been rolling your eyes about this this group rolling in here with 30 people all unorganized, but uh, you saved the day. And then you may you I'm guessing you'll recall Thank that you. we had the challenge of the young girl right who uh, uh, we, we had a 13 year old girl part of our group. Uh, and then we learned while we were there that there was a law in Rwanda that you have to be 15 years old to see the gorillas and it was. Uh, it was really awful for a while. There was a there was a moment where I had to go and tell that little girl that she couldn't go. Um, but then Anne and I uh, and a couple other people worked out a solution. Do you remember that, Anne? We we hired a car. We sent we sent them to the border. We got them new visas. We made sure that they got to see the gorillas in neighboring Uganda. Uh, and and it just cost some extra money. It was the easiest money I ever spent. Um, but but there are challenges like that uh, in our in our business, and uh, I'm glad that that one turned out to be such a good story. Um, okay, well we've uh, we've run out of time, yep. Anne. Um, uh, to to people who've tuned in, I don't see any uh, comments or questions. But if the, if I've somehow missed those, I like I said at the beginning, I'll respond to those as soon as we're off the air here. Uh, a reminder: tomorrow morning, seven o'clock Seattle time. Mm -hmm. Uh, live virtual tour of Johannesburg, South Africa with Todd Wentz, and then PowerPoint at 10 o'clock Seattle time on Friday to see the visuals that go along with all these things we've been talking about with Anne and Todd and people in, in Africa. So um, Anne, thank you for taking the time with us and uh, uh, sharing with us about your world in East Africa. Um, and I'll say uh, yeah. happy travels to everybody else and to you, Asante Sana. We can't wait to see you again. Thank you very much. Asante sana. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Blessings. Bye.